On today's bonus episode, we are joined by guest Josephine Calapenny, the Executive Director of Family Values at Work, to talk about workplace changes that their organization is working towards, activism and the workplace, and the future of work. Let's go. Welcome to the Internal Customer Handbook, a work culture podcast for people who lead people. This unpublished book turned podcast is for people leaders who want to create 21st century work cultures that look nothing like, but this is how we've always done it. I am your host, Wendy Conrad, work culture strategist and founder of Your Happy Workplace. And if you are wondering if why and how ethical leadership and business can coexist, then you are in the right place. So glad you're here. Let's get into today's episode. Hello, hello. This is the Internal Customer Handbook Podcast bonus episode. I am your host, Wendy Conrad, and today I am so excited about today's bonus episode. Before we get to the guest and topic, I want to tell you a little bit about an organization called Family Values at Work. Family Values at Work is a national network of 27 state and local coalitions helping spur the growing movement for family-friendly workplace policies such as paid sick days and family leave insurance which will result in better individual and public health and greater financial security for families, businesses, and for us as a collective. I'm so excited to have this guest interview today. Today we have Josephine Calapenny. She was born in Malawi and has seen inequities in one of the poorest countries in the world and one of the richest. As a former social worker, she saw firsthand the systemic challenges families experience. She has since worked in policy advocacy, organizing, campaign and strategy development, and strategic planning for two decades, centering those most marginalized. As a policy and movement expert, Josie is committed to transforming systems, policies, organizations, and dismantling racism and toxic cultural norms and narratives of individualism, scarcity, and quote, the deserving. She holds a bachelor's in sociology and political science and a master's in social justice and community development. She currently serves as the executive director of family values at work. And that's the short bio, y'all. And yes, you should be impressed as I am. She is here today to talk with us about activism and the future of work. Welcome, Josie. Thanks so much, Wendy. I'm so excited to be here and be talking to you about this. It's an exciting time to, you know, be talking about work. Yes, things seem to be happening so fast. And speaking of fast, we are going to jump right into these questions. So, With respect to the work that you do with family values at work, what problematic systemic issues when it comes to our workplaces are at the top of the list of priorities for your organization? 
So at Family Values at Work, you know, we are really focused on working on making sure that all workers have paid family and medical leave, paid sick days, and paid safe days. Um, and we package that, but it's connected to also having adequate wages, having access to a working and functioning democracy. And for many people, it's also connected to having affordable childcare. But ultimately, Wendy, here's the thing. Like we live in a country that asks us to work like we don't have families and asks us to take care of our families like we don't have to work. And the reality is like, those two things are often in opposition of each other and we can't we can't live in a culture that wants us to family like we don't work and wants us to work like we don't family and so at the core of what we do at family values at work is try to make the workplace a place that actually works for working caregivers we're trying to make work work if you can imagine that <laughs> I love that answer and I love the 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 way you described asking us to work like we don't have families and asking us to live like we don't have to work. Yeah. That's something I talk about and I've never heard it put that way so I love that. You mentioned paid safe days. Tell me more about what that is because I've never heard of that before. Yeah, so paid safe days really is a category of being able to take paid time off from work. Um, when there is a safety issue happening for workers and families and the people they care for. Most often this is used in situations where there are domestic violence situations, right? Where um, a person is experiencing a domestic violence situation, whether that's with a partner or within their family. And let's say they need to take, to take time off to relocate right, to um, hide, to go to court and put in place a protection order. So paid safe days are meant to offer paid time off from work to ensure that someone can keep themselves safe or someone that they love safe. It's different than needing to care for yourself and needing to care for someone else, though the ability to keep yourself safe is connected to the ability to care for yourself and care for people that you love, but it's specifically for those needing safety moments. Ooh, I love that. I learned something new and I never heard of that before. Is that something that, that you've seen legislation pass on yet, or is it something you're still working on? Yeah, so we've seen it in a couple of states and it's part, it's becoming more and more of the conversation around legislation for paid leave particularly as we hear from um, domestic violence, the advocacy community around domestic violence, and as we hear from a lot of women identifying this as a key issue, we recognize that the need for paid safe days differs and is in addition to, and should be in addition to, the need for pay time off and the need for pay family and medical leave. So we're hearing of it more and more. We're including it intentionally in our advocacy materials and in our advocacy work. And whenever there's legislation being talked about, we make sure that paid safe days are part of that conversation. And I would imagine that someone who is affected by those type of situations would feel a huge sense of relief just knowing that that kind of support is there for them and that their job, which we all have to have to live, is not going to be a barrier to them 
freeing themselves. Exactly. Exactly. It is, you know, I think we're hearing more and more about it when we know that it impacts work. And so it just makes sense that it needs to be part of the public discourse. It's part of how to keep people safe, but especially how to keep working women safe. So what would you say to someone who maybe doesn't have kids or isn't in a domestic relationship? Um, maybe, you know, they don't have family, family members that they think might require care at some point, And they might think, well, you know, family leave doesn't affect me. Well, how, <laughs> how does fighting for these kinds of policies benefit everybody? Oh, I really love this question. So, you know, it, it hits at the core of who I am. I am a working childless adult. I am the oldest of six, right? And so I often hear this conversation. I used to hear this conversation framed so much from a parental angle that this is really about being able to be home with your child when you have a new child or when you're bonding. And I used to not see myself in that conversation. I'm like, well, that's not me, right? But at the same time, I have all of these instances that I need to take time off of work. So my story, for example, Wendy, I had, I've had fibroids for a long time, for a long, long time. And for a long time, I thought, you know, I'll just figure out how to deal with it. Because when I would get um, medical advice about it, they would often recommend surgery. And then they would tell me that it's anywhere from four to six weeks for recovery time. I didn't have four to six weeks of pay time off from the job that I either had just started or had been working at for years and I only had two weeks. So I kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off until my OB-GYN was like, you can't put this off anymore. This is terrible. It is not normal. Hello, women. Hello, Black women. It's not normal to be in this kind of pain. It's not normal to not feel your legs. Like, we shouldn't have to live like that. And so, <laughs> you know, like, things like that, right? Um, and so I remember being, you know, like, being so nervous about, like, well, how am I going to manage this? Also in a moment when I was trying to build my career and so committed to rebuilding my finances as part of my commitment to, to completely disrupt generational poverty in my family, right? So I'm like, I can't afford to take this time off because the need to change my financial trajectory for the well-being of my family is more important right? Like we find ourselves in these situations where we're telling ourselves that something is more important than our health and well-being. But my OB-GYN was like, if you don't do this, you're going to start having ruptures. They're going to impact you in this way. It just got to a point where for many of us, it gets to this point where the only option is to take the time off. Like we prolong things so long until we're hit in that moment where like there's no other option. So I, you know, as a childless adult, needed to um, have this surgery four to six weeks. Of course, I go into it as superwoman. I had my four-week plan down. I'm going to do this and this and this. I'm going to take extra vitamins to make sure that I heal because I can't afford one more day out of work outside of the four weeks. And my, my plan in my superwoman head was to be completely done and back at work in two weeks. How ridiculous it is that we would rush our own healing in that way. But it took me 12 weeks after being told four to six weeks. 
And so here I am, right, like thinking, oh, well, pay family and medical leave is not for me because I am not a parent. And all of a sudden I'm in a situation, right, where I needed time off and I needed an employer who was going to understand that I cannot afford to be off of work without pay. I I would have been in a situation where not only was I trying to figure out how to have the surgery and heal, but then how to figure out how to keep a roof over my head, how to keep my the medications I needed and how to afford them. Thank God I had an understanding employer, but it shouldn't take having to win the, the good employee lottery for us to be able to take care of ourselves. So that's one of my own personal situations. But even now, right, my mom's getting older. I love her to life. But there are moments when my sisters will call me and we all need to coordinate her care and show up for her. And so there are those moments like that, you know, we often think that we often want to see ourselves as invincible or like the situations that we hear about other people dealing with that sound urgent and chaotic and so life disrupting will never be us. But the reality is if we don't need care at some point soon, we're going to be in a situation where we're having to give care. And if that can't happen within the confinements of flexible benefits that allow us to be there for ourselves and for people we care about in the most important moments, then we're totally doing it wrong, which is the point, which is the point right now. So this affects Every this affects all of us. It affects our ability to show up for people that we love in their final days. It I'm here now in Houston because my sister had a baby and I get to take some time off to spend time with my niece and to bond with my niece, but to also just be there for my sister, right? Like how it, it feels like an incredible blessing. And actually, it shouldn't feel like a blessing, it should feel it should be a right. It should be a right. I love all of that that you said. And it really speaks to, especially that last part, that we shouldn't have to choose between our own health, the health of our family members, spending time with a new family member um, and experiencing those moments that will never come again. We should not have to choose between work and that. And how telling is it that, and and I've been in those situations too, where I'm like, well, I can't do this medical thing that is taking care of my health because I can't afford it or I can't take the time off work. I remember when I had my wisdom teeth out, all four of my wisdom teeth out, of course they put you under full anesthesia. And my mom told me that the first thing I said when I came out of anesthesia was was work-related. Oh my gosh. And that made me so sad to hear that. Yep. Because it's not, it, we're, we're doing, we've been trained by the system. They yep. don't have to do it because we're doing it to ourselves. For ourselves, yeah. And so to create, to to have this information out there and, and have this, like this should be the bare minimum. Yeah, yeah. When when it's really, like you said, you know, it's, it's like a unicorn when you find an employer that is supportive of these, you know, taking care yeah. of your health. Imagine yeah. that. And when we, um, yeah. the, we hear a lot when we're doing this work, we hear a lot about how employers can't afford this, how small businesses can't afford this, and how our country can't afford this. 
But the reality is like it even benefits our economy. It benefits employers. You have more productive employees. You also want good benefits to be able to get good talent into your businesses, right? And when I think about how women are the fastest growing population of entrepreneurs, like this is, you know, like good work benefits that allow us to live the lives that we want to live in a balanced way benefit every everybody it benefits the economy it benefits our families and our communities it benefits the business world like it's it's just it's good policy it's good moral policy but it's also good economic policy it's good gender policy it's good politics it's such a popular idea that people should be able to work and take care of their families yeah and and to not use sometimes you know the 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 dollar shouldn't be the only metric that we're using to you know you mentioned the the moral good thing to do like it, it seems bizarre in my brain now of course doing research and coming from the perspective that we do that we have to fight for these things yes that we have to fight for these things it seems so bizarre i mean it makes sense given our history but it just seems like the twilight zone, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm going to shift gears just a little bit. And I'm, I'm sure that you interact with and work with all kinds of workplaces and see all kinds of things going on on a regular basis. What are the biggest shifts or changes that you have seen in our workplaces in the past few years, especially since the summer of 2020 with the murder of George Floyd? What kinds of changes have you seen related to that historical event? Yeah, so, you know, there's there's a lot that's happened between 2020 and now. And it's, I mean, we're talking about what, three years, right? Um, and in those three years, it feels like we've all lived and worked a decade. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think about, um, you know, the impact of George Floyd's death on all of us, um, you know, as communities and as workers, you know, I, I think about the sort of, not even the sort of, but I think about the trauma that our country, like everyone in our country at varying levels, of course, you know, like the level of trauma that Black workers have to deal with waking up the next day after George Floyd is murdered and have to show up to work, right? Like that is deep, deep trauma. Um, and, you know, so I think about how trauma is showing up in our workplaces and how, you know, in some workplaces, there's been a culture created where those are conversations that people are having. I, I remember seeing organizations that had never spoken out about race and racism, putting out statements about how completely, you know, unacceptable and inconceivable that this sort of, you know, the George Floyd's death and this constant reoccurrence of violence against Black bodies is, right? So, I see changes like that, you know, in in ways where people and organizations and employers are trying to take the steps that they can. Some are much more incremental than I would like, of course, um, and some folks are are doing a lot more than other folks. So I I think about that sort of like 
another national moment of reckoning and awakening where there is a clear choice being given to us to lean in and have the conversations that help us redirect our future or put our heads in the sand and continue to keep doing things as we've always done them. And, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't also then acknowledge that we dealt with the whole pandemic all at the same time, right? So like George Floyd's death happened, a pandemic happened, more deaths against black and brown bodies happened in that time. There was the shooting at the grocery store in New York, right? All, all within a pandemic, all within these like individual, communal and countrywide traumas, right? Um, and it's changed, right? Like we saw the pandemic uh, make a clear case that actually flexible workplaces are possible and that workers can still be productive under a level of flexibility that allows them to work from home, right? Like we, we saw uh, this country make a quick shift and pivot, right? Like we all complain about how slow our governments are to respond, how slow it is to enact policy and to implement policy. And, you know, it was not perfect by any means, but our entire country shifted, right, in in like almost overnight within a week to doing things different, to doing workplaces different, to offering workers more flexibility and more benefits, to having a national response to a healthcare crisis. Like we need to acknowledge that this country did that. So anytime we hear that we need more time, we need more research, we need, anytime there is a epidemic that's happening, whether that epidemic is state-sanctioned murders of Black bodies or a pandemic or the need to have a social safety net that makes working more flexible through benefits like pay leave. Anytime someone tells us we can't do that, we need more time, you know, we can actually say no, right? We've all lived through a moment where Things, things, institutions and government institutions and employer institutions responded overnight um, and really shifted work and workplaces. Um, you know, the other thing that I that I reflect on often that's happened since then that's been fascinating for me to map, and I think employers should really think about this, is the leadership of people of color, right? Like it, I see institutions that have been traditionally led by um, white men or women, you know, making shifts and pivots to having leaders of color um, in those institutions. And I feel like if we mapped some of our larger institutions over the last three years, last five years, last 10 years, there's been an increase in leaders of color. I am in more spaces that are calling on, that are convening leaders of color. And I think there's a lot to be said about that. Do I think we're in a country that knows how to follow leaders of color? Not yet, <laughs> but we have to take one step at a time. Um, and do I think leaders of color are in on an equitable and level playing field? No, I think we're scrutinized more. I think we have to be more mindful of what we say. I think funding responds to us differently. Um, and I think, you know, we have to balance work and not make ourselves martyrs of a system that's not yet ready to fully wrap their arms around us while also doing the work to 
change the system. Um, but there's a lot that's there's a lot that's changed that makes me that makes me optimistic. Y'all can't see, but I'm over here like you're talking, and I'm like I'm having to physically restrain myself because <laughs> I, I, I love everything that you're saying, and and really the last part really just encapsulized the differences between diversity, which is just having the people there, and actually being included and feeling like they belong, and being given, you know, not just putting black people and other people of color indigenous people in leadership positions but then actually giving them the tools and support that they need to actually lead yes yes and uh, you know <laughs> i think this 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 uh, i have a lot to say about that but <laughs> i'm gonna say like I said, this would be a 10 hour uh, podcast episode <laughs> if I went off on every tangent. Um, I just feel like if, if now that we're starting to see that, um, it, it's kind of like, I'll make the analogy of, you know, you talked about how quickly overnight people and businesses in a pandemic were able to shift and governments were able to shift when for so long they were saying, well, we can't do, we, we yeah. can't do that. We don't we need more time. We don't let, we need to run tests. Yes, you can do it. You just don't want to. Want to. Yep. You yep. just don't want to. And then when we saw that businesses and governments and people could do it and that, you know, it wasn't only in an emergency situation, quote unquote, but then workers were actually able to do their jobs sometimes better. Better. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a good analogy for, you know, having black people, more women, black women and yes. other people of color in leadership positions. I feel like businesses aren't getting it and they're shooting themselves in the foot when they, yes. when they say, well, we're diverse. Well, who's in your C-suite? That's, yes. That's what I want to see. Come on, Wendy. That's, um, that's what I want to say. Let me look on your website and yep. the board of directors. No, you're not. Yeah. Um, so, and this kind of overlaps with a little bit of what we're talking about. And I'm sure you've heard and seen, I know I have people say it to me, the sentiment, keep politics out of the workplace. Um, how can and why should our workplaces intersect with activism? Mm -hmm. I mean, here's, here's the reality. The reality is we are whole people living whole lives. And when we get hired at a workplace, sure, it's because of the things that are on my resume, right? But the reality is it's also because of the things that are not on my resume that have created the person that's able to show up in the way that I show up. And if you ask me, the reality is we are enriched in every way possible by having people show up as their whole selves in the workplace. When I think about the improvements that we have made at Family Values at Work, it's because people can show up as their whole selves 
and really analyze critically um, different things that we're doing from their perspective, from their lived experiences. They can bring that into a workplace and that is an invaluable treasure to really be able to create an equitable workplace that allows people not just to be their whole selves, but it allows us to do our work better and more strategically and more thoughtfully um, and with a, with a lens that allows us to be sustainable. So when I hear people say, keep politics out of the workplace, I, I, I honestly just don't understand it because it's as if you're asking someone to show up as half of themselves. And unless you're paying that person half half a wage or asking them to only work part-time, asking someone to compartmentalize an aspect of who they are is one, it's, it's just not fair and it's not it's not a way of building dignity in the workplace but also we're just losing so much so much richness and goodness that actually builds the workplace and then ultimately i think too that there are so many different ways and opportunities that activism and advocacy needs to show up in the workplace. It's in small ways and it's in big ways. And it's showing, it's happening whether or not folks that think politics should be out of the workplace um, see it or not. For example, a small tiny way, when an, when an employer shifts who their health insurance provider is and the coverage is better and costs the same as before, it's because there was an HR person there who was an activist and actively rallying and lobbying different providers to make sure that there is quality coverage on the job. So there's activism that happens in small ways that is unseen that enriches our workplace. Not all activism and not all politics means being on the front line in a rally in Baltimore, right? Like that's not always what it looks like. Um, and the reality is that politics impacts our workplaces in every way possible. So while we can talk about keeping politics out of the workplace, politics are invading our workplaces all the time. We have things that we have to adhere to because of a political system that is surrounding us in a 360 degree way. So just because we choose to ignore it doesn't mean it's ignoring us and not impacting us. The least we could do is prepare ourselves to impact it back and to change it in a way that works for workers. Mm, I love how you put that, that it's, it's already there. And that's something I've talked about before. Business is political. It is political. Politics, you know, whether we like it or not, affects our businesses. And there are, you know, there are some issues that inherently are not political, quote unquote, but that have been politicized that affect us as human beings and affect yeah. our workplaces. You don't have to tell me because I live in Florida. So uh, Wendy. <laughs> I mean, you know, what, what we're learning and who can teach what and who we can talk about, it's all being, you know, legislated on now. Yes. So yes. You, you can't, you can't not, you can't yes. not. And the other, you know, there are people who are using politics to construct workplaces in a way 
that is oppressive, that, you know, depresses our wages, that make it impossible for us to be good workers. And if we're not paying attention to that, and if we're not engaging in that, if we're not also using politics to reshape the workplace, we're sort of giving up our power by not engaging at all. And anytime I see us leaning back and not taking our power in small and big courageous ways, then we're going to lose the fight for generations to come. Mm, yes. And that's another tangent we could spend 18 hours <laughs> on. But we won't. Not today. <laughs> um, so this is a big question. What, what do you envision the future of work looking like? And then the second part of that is that what gives you hope for that future? Mm. For those of us who feel hopeless on some days. Yeah. <laughs> I really love these questions. Um, you know, I, at the core of it all for me, to me, the future of work and the future of workplaces means a place where people can work, be, and thrive, um, and on our own terms, right? Like there should be the ability and the freedom to set the terms under which we work and live. Um, and that means having workplaces that work for caregivers, for workers, for people of color, for people with disabilities who want to work, right? It's to me like my dream of work is having workplaces where people can work, be and thrive on their own terms. But I won't hide the lead either, Wendy. Ultimately, for me, I I don't I don't dream of work. I don't dream of working until I'm 80 or 90. I do, I've done the math, and it is heartbreaking to me to think that this country's retirement age is 65. There are those that are arguing that it should be higher. The life expectancy for Black folks is 77, 75. Sometimes it drops to 73. You mean to tell me that I should be working from 14 or 16 to 65, donate my best years, my thriving years, and donate my life to a capitalistic system that is committed to robbing every ounce of time and joy from me, only to retire at a fixed income that cannot support the standard of life that I want to live and then die 10 years later. <laughs> so if I'm honest, when the math isn't mathing for me, I do not dream of labor. I do not dream of work. I dream of an economy and a country that disconnects benefits from work and really allows people to thrive and be on their own terms. And if those terms mean I retire at 30 or 50 or 80, that doesn't mean that it destabilizes my standard of living. And so while I want workplaces to be better workplaces, I want a country that does that, that divorces benefits from work and that really thinks about what a standard of living looks like outside of a capitalistic system that only values our productivity. Mm. <laughs> I am 
restraining myself so hard <laughs> that I think my throat is hurting right now. Uh, yes, you said so many words there that I, I, I have nothing to add to that. And I love that answer for the question that I asked. Um, yes to all of that. Um, as we're kind of winding down here, where, what do you want people to know about family values at work and where can they find out more about what y'all do? Yeah, so the easiest way is to look us up online. Um, do the Google search for family values at work. It'll take us to our it will take you to our website, familyvaluesatwork.org. You'll find all the ways to connect with us there through Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and you know some of our trainings and offerings that we, you know, that we're putting there. I guess the thing I want people to know is that we are in a country that feels so politicized, that's becoming more and more tribalistic in ways that feel hard for me to really imagine and conceptualize what our future could look like. And it really actually only feels like that because some of the smallest thinkers have the loudest voices and platforms because what I know to be true is that the issues that sound like they're politicized when we're listening to the news when we actually talk about them in our homes at our dinner tables or over happy hour drinks with friends who have different backgrounds different political subscriptions different income levels these issues don't sound politicized in those conversations. And so the thing I want all of us listeners to hear is that these issues aren't actually political. These issues are about fairness and equity. These are values that actually more of us agree about than disagree about. And that it takes all of us speaking our truth courageously in our families, in our homes, in our communities, against the smaller thinkers who have the loudest platforms, the more of us that are talking about this and sharing our truth, the louder our platforms become. And the less we see this as political and politicized issues, the idea of being able to do work and do our families is not political, actually. It sounds political because of the echo chambers that we're constantly in. But when we're dealing with those things in our homes and over dinner tables and through our group text messages, they're not political issues. They're just really issues about what are the best ways for us to live the lives that we all want to live and show up for the moments that most matter in our lives. So I invite everyone to join the movement and to join us. It's not about whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. It's not about that. It's about whether or not we can get to a country that values these important moments in our lives and our ability to set the terms of our lives on our own. Um, and so I'm I'm excited for that. And I, I want everyone to hear that and everyone to join us. I love that. I love that. I feel like we we all at our core, like you were just saying, want the same things. They're not political issues. They're human issues. Yes. And I love what Family Values at Work is doing. And y'all go find them, follow them on all the socials, get involved, find out how you can get involved and help us all achieve together what we all just want for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. 
Thank you everyone for joining us today on this bonus episode of the Internal Customer Handbook Podcast. I've been your host, Wendy Conrad, today with guest Josie Calapenny from Family Values at Work. Thank you so much for joining. And that's it, saying thanks for joining and bye for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Internal Customer Handbook Podcast. Please subscribe and share with friends. Want to send an email for the mailbag segment? I'd love to answer your work culture questions or hear your bad boss or toxic workplace stories to be shared right here on the podcast. Email me at wendy at yourhappyworkplace.com. Want to support the podcast and my work? Contribute at throwconfettiatme.com. Yes, you heard that right. Throwconfettiatme.com. It's an actual website. My dog agrees. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.